Welcome back to this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you're well. Um, one of the things I want to do in this podcast is to begin to explore what's emerging in the field of coaching, what disruptions might be on the horizon, and where's the where's the field going. And so that's what this conversation is about in some way. I'm going to be talking with Paul Burn and Paul is uh, he works in the leadership circle in the full circle group. Uh, he coaches CEOs and helps uh, implement large scale, multi year organizational change. Uh, and we're going to talk about that today. He's also on the uh, board of the Coactive Training Institute. And so we're going to talk today about the business model of coaching and the absolute need for coaching that Paul sees in these times and how in some ways supply is not meeting demand and we'll talk about the uberization of coaching in some way the race to the bottom uh, where coaches might get end up getting paid $30 an hour for their services and what other types of business models or value creation spaces can coaches create that would leave them getting paid great money, doing great work. You know, so we'll talk about these collaborative collectives that may be on the horizon of best in practice providers, and how Paul's work with Roche, uh, the pharmaceutical company, has led him to explore that type of work in some way. And so it's a rich conversation particularly if you're someone who is interested in yeah, the, the general business model of coaching and uh, how we, we might innovate that and play in some ex- reimagine what coaching is. Let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Paul Byrne. All right, Paul, great to be with you. Uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well, Joel. Yeah, it's good to be with you. I was looking forward to our, uh, our conversation today. And we're talking when there's snow outside as well. Yeah, I know you're is. in the Netherlands too. I am in the Netherlands. And uh, although I, I have spent most of my career working in Europe, uh, I was originally from Boston. So you'd think snow would not be uh, a particular novelty. But uh, right now, I think with the combination of the lockdowns and everything else, uh, it, anything that's a divergent from the norm is very exciting. So we're very excited about the snow and ice, which is even better that we might be able to skate. Yeah, they're uh, they're actually in that conversation now, aren't they? In the Netherlands, where where they're determining whether they'll be able to do the I've forgotten the name. You probably will remember the famous marathon ice skating yeah. race that only happens every twenty years or something. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been twenty. Was the Elf uh, Stadatoch or the tour? Yeah, the Eleven City Tour. I always feel like it's 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 the race. It's it's like uh, uh, who is the character in Harry Potter that you could never say his name. Uh, um, Anyway, so many people who are listening will remember. It's like the race that you never name because it would jinx it, you know. So, yes, that race that everyone has their fingers crossed for that uh, might happen. I think it's been 20-something years. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, So, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, coaching today and in particular – uh, like the the business model of coaching mm. and how we may be invited to innovate that business model. And so we'll explore, uh, I think you've got a few things to say about that, me too. And um, But just give us a sense of, first of all, like the work that you're doing at the moment. Um, and also like you're an on- serial entrepreneur as well. Yeah, no. Uh, so um Got it. You know, I mean, the, the very short story of it is I, I actually, my background and my degree is in anthropology. So I think I've always been at some level interested in, um, in cultures and ritual and understanding kind of why people do what they do. Um, spent first part of my career really in, um, in startups, in technology and in professional services firms and, and sort of the, uh, amazing education and all of the other things that are involved with, you know, IPOs and, and scaling businesses, and then really started to get interested in, uh, in coaching. And I think I'd always had a long interest in personal development and um, kind of came up against my own 
leadership challenges as, as I was in leadership roles and was lucky enough to find a coach. And uh, that sort of opened the door to just, you know, even what this profession was. I mean, we're going back, you know, 20 something years, but the last time they had that skating race. Um, but, uh, you know, fast forward to now and, um, uh, I work uh, with uh, a couple of organizations. I mean, most um, primarily with um, the leadership circle, full circle group. So we do a lot of large system transformation work, um, a number of kind of large clients that are in multi-year um, projects where they're typically trying to both change um, the culture, the leadership mindsets and the operating models, right? So these sort of large scale transformations of industry, just super interesting. Um, you know, in, I, I think I come to it and in, in the way I would describe myself is I'm a coach. Um, uh, even though I probably at any given moment am doing more facilitation, maybe a bit of advisory, helping folks with structures. Um, but I think it's always from the mindset of my coach training and, and of my early days as a coach and just such a believer in um, that approach and its applicability to helping leaders navigate problems that they have today in particular. I mean, I think when, when you have known, known problems and known answers, you can be a little bit more advisory about it. I think consultants you know, are worth their weight in gold if they can give you the, the right answer. Um, I think increasingly as organizations and leaders of, at any size face um, a whole new series of dilemmas, uh, uh, challenges, adaptive challenges, uh, it just feels like coaching is, um, is, is the the answer to how best to support them. I don't think it's gonna give them the answer. That's not the point. Um, but I think it's the best shot to equip them of finding the answer. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd consider myself a coach uh, first and foremost. And, and it's part of what you know, I think led to our conversation today, which is I've just been fascinated with coaching as a profession, the industry of coaching, and how all of that is evolving to meet these relatively new and emerging demands um, within organizations. So that's, I mean, my context is I work mostly with um, organizations, but I think it's the true for governments and NGOs and others as well. Nice. Thanks. And you, I know you're coaching CEOs of companies and stuff. Um, I, cause I think what you just shared in, that's what makes this conversation really interesting is that you've got experience implementing these large scale multi-year change programs uh, uh, you know, in these companies and, and bringing in like coaching and seeing the need for coaching and what works and what doesn't work. And, um, you know, um, I think that's a very um, interesting perspective. And so what makes this conversation so important for you, you know, about the, the business model of coaching and perhaps the, the future of coaching of how we might need to deliver our services and so on. What, what makes this conversation so important to you? Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think there's probably two, two parts to it. I mean, I think the one is um, a value creation opportunity that is uh, so needed. And I don't think yet is being delivered on. And that is, you know, the value that, um, and I'm going to sort of use the word coaching in a very kind of loose term. So however, you know, you, who hold what coaching is, and I know there's lots of definitions of it, but this idea of um, uh, uh, what coaching can be as a catalyst for accelerating changes that are currently taking place uh, and the need that that's there. So I just, you know, fascinated by sort of the ability to create exponential value in a way that I don't know um, was possible in the past, mostly because I don't know that industry and sort of the, the conversation inside of leadership was really geared towards it. But I think now that everything feels like an adaptive change and, and this idea that we're in a you know, VUCA world and things are moving quickly and technolo technology disrupts everything, including our own industry, it's kind of almost self-evident, like it doesn't take much to convince someone. Um, so I happen to think coaching has a really important role to play there. Um, and then secondly, just, you know, I guess the business side of it, uh, kind of the startup, um, you know, the more entrepreneurial angle, which is like, it's a fascinating dynamic. You know, you've got this incredible supply of individuals who are trained and capable of doing amazing things, this amazing and increasing demand of leaders and organizations that are um, really needing that value. 
and what often feels like an incredibly inefficient business model that connects the two. And so, you know, anytime there's this inefficiency standing between supply and demand that are trying to find each other, it's kind of a fun conversation to have. Like, I, I don't particularly have any answers. If I did, I'd run out and, you know, fix it uh, or, or, or invest in someone who was trying to do it. Um, but I think that's what, you know, our, our, our conversation has been and, and what we've been talking about just the last couple of weeks and, you know, in terms of what's, what's possible there and, and what's evolving and emerging or wanting to happen. Because when you say it's inefficient, the supply and the demand, could you say a bit more about what you mean by that or what you see or what experiences you had perhaps in, you know, bringing coaches in to meet the demand? Yeah, it, you know, there, so hmm, or a couple of things. I, I think one is uh, often coaching is presented as the value proposition itself. And, and to an extent it is, right? In, in, in some ways, you know, hiring a coach and getting coached is in and of itself a value creating experience. Um, I think increasingly, as I look in organizations and companies that are taking on, you know, agile transformation or rethinking hierarchy across the organization and becoming much more flat or, you know, starting to move towards these more teal, you know, organizations. So this kind of progressive organizational design and structures. Um, I think, you know, that's actually where I look at seeing the kind of the predominant approach right now is more consulting best practice oriented. Like, can you show us other people that are doing this at scale and teach us how to do that? Right. Is, you know, like it's a supply chain issue. And I think partly because this is so new and there really aren't a lot of best practices, I'm sure in 20 years, we'll be able to look back and see companies and, and organizations that navigated it well. Um, and also I think partly because they're such unique, these adaptive challenges are just so unique to the very specific context of these organizations. And even at an individual level to where individual leaders are in their own growth and, and consciousness that it feels like coaching is the better answer, you know, and it's, it's not coaching. Like you need to go buy coaching, like it's a product, but as a modality of um, supporting change and acting as a catalyst inside of these dynamics, I think that's where it's really exciting. Uh, and when I see it at its best, you know, I see coaches come in and really take that catalyst role, right? They're, they're, they're entering themselves into reactions that are already taking place, um, but their inclusion in it either accelerates it or intensifies it, you know, and they don't get up used up in the reaction, like sort of catalyst from our high school chemistry classes. Uh, and this idea of coaches as catalysts and not just developers of capability, you know, I think is, is one of the areas that, you know, I'm seeing when I, when I look at coaches that are doing great or, 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 you know, engagements that I'm part of where other folks are coming in and bringing in coaching skills, you know, this often is where, you know, they really shine. Yeah. And what I see in the industry is, um, we've talked about this a little bit, this kind of uberfication, you know, um, of, of the low end. And so the, the concern I have is most of the big innovation using technology feels like it's trying to squeeze on the cost side of the equation, as opposed to the value creation side of the equation. And so, you know, the, the dynamic, and I, and I know there's plenty of examples where coaches and coaching firms are doing incredibly high value work. But if I look at the industry as a whole, it feels like it's leaning towards a more commodified experience, um, big technology platforms stepping in and driving down the cost, the hourly rates of coaches and the sort of fungible nature of, you know, you need a coach, we'll match you with a coach as opposed to coaches being able to really step in and identify where they can be a catalyst in, in some of the big challenges that an individual or an organization faces. So, um, yeah, that's the, in my worst nightmare, everything, everything goes to $40 an hour, you know? Right. Which, uh, and then, yeah. 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 Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, um, there are, I think initiatives around where it's kind of going really in that direction quite quickly. Yeah. Cause you said a lot in this and, um, you know, I, what I like is that I'm trying to grok it myself, like get my head mm -hmm. around some of what you said. And what I really liked was you said like, a coach as a catalyst, as a, as a opposed to a developer of capability, 
and uh, you you see like really coaches as catalysts in organizations really having traction and adding value. Um, could you say a bit more about that, like the distinction? Um, you know, I think I think you said some about it, but I think it's just worth mm. teasing that out if you can. Yeah, no, I'll I'll try and I'll and I'll credit a um, a collaborator on a couple of projects that I've done with um, Michael Lurie, who's a um, my McKinsey partner, who's who has published on this idea, and so you can I'm sure you can Google it. But you know his his concept of the 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 roles that leaders will be playing in the future, and in particular in these sort of agile, um, more nimble. I mean, you can use sort of whatever language. I think agile is sort of a, a holder name label, you know, for this movement that's happening. Um, but he talks about this idea of um, leaders becoming uh, visionaries, architects, coaches, and catalysts. Yeah. And that those become the primary roles that leaders play as opposed to sort of, you know, setting explicit direction and, you know, providing guidance and, you know, getting in there and doing the work themselves. Right. And so I've always been kind of interested in, in that concept. And, and there's a whole interesting conversation around how do leaders begin to embody um, a new identity, which has as its center um, a different orientation to how leaders create value in the world. Um, and that's really interesting. And, and most of them struggle, uh, as you'd suspect, with that sort of different identity from what kind of got them there, you know, 30 years of doing it a certain way, and now I have to <laughs> reimagine myself. Um, but I think, you know, for coaches, you know, I, I sort of think of this coach and catalyst role, like, and I'll speak for myself, you know, I, I'm, no organization is going to bring me in to create their compelling 10-year vision. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I know my industry a bit. I know professional services a bit. I might have an opinion there, but if you're a, you know, a large life sciences company or an automotive company, I can't, I can't help you. There's plenty of consultants who can. So visionary is kind of off the list. Um, architect is really interesting because it's, it's about how do you begin to reimagine the fundamental mechanics of how the organization operates. So things like performance, uh, things like compensation, things like culture. So there's an element of that, but I don't do a lot of architecture with businesses. That tends to be more kind of classic organizational design and quite progressive organizational design. So again, I think that there's others out there and there's firms who do that really well. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to this idea of coaching catalyst and these roles and the, and the thing that organizations need, I do think that that's where the coaching industry is really gifted. I think coaching sort of speaks for itself. I, I know in Michael's uh, visionary architect, catalyst coach model, coach doesn't just mean coaching. And so it, it's more than one-on-one. -on -one. It's really, how do you build the inherent capability and capacity in a system to transform itself? Like, so how are you always getting smarter? So these are these sort of um, learning systems that get built in. And then this catalyst idea, which is, you know, how do you find almost like, like you're doing acupuncture, you know, these um, moments of intervention, these you know, incredibly uh, well-timed conversations where a small amount of input can lead to a tremendous output. And I think those two dynamics for coaches are areas where I think coaching shines. I mean, I think obviously building capability in people is kind of self-evident, but I think this catalyst one is, is, is less so. And I think coaches underestimate um, how pivotal, pivotal, you know, one right-timed question you know, can be. And we all sort of have that experience for ourselves and there's plenty of examples out there, but um, to be able to do that uh, as a consistent part of the practice, I think is really um, compelling, particularly in that it doesn't require you to have answers, which I always try and stay away from because I, I have very few, including for myself. So I'm not certainly not going to give any to anyone else, um, but I usually have pretty good questions. Uh, and, and so that coach and catalyst role um, you know, feel more natural. And I, and I think lend themselves well to the training that we've all had. Mm, yeah. Nice. Cause uh, just staying with this, um, you say like as a, as a developer of capability, do you mean by that, you know, some, a leader that might become, um, you know, m more able to, uh, be present and, um, think with greater complexity in, you know, increasingly more volatile situations and that's a capability, um, you know, 
as opposed to like this catalyst, like dropping in certain questions that probably, you know, that ignite something, a spark, something that has this ripple effect out. Is that what you meant by capability or? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so yeah, no, I think on the capability side, I think you've, you're, you're right. It's sort of that either vertical or horizontal development, right? So it's, it's mm. this ability to grow consciousness and, 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 um, and play with mindsets. And, you know, I know you've had Jennifer Garvey Berger and others on the podcast who do amazing work um, in their companies with that, uh, as well as some of the, you know, frankly, just some of this skill building, right? You know, executive presence, you know, that's a, a big issue at the moment. Communications always will be. Um, I think of the catalyst role as um, sort of the non-traditional place that a coach might play uh, a part. And so, for example, you know, we, we work with a lot of organizations that are involved in pretty large agile transformations. And, um, you know, that really requires whole new ways of working. One of the tenets of it is, you know, you, you, you don't do all of the planning and design and thinking in sort of these executive teams and then try and cascade it, you know, top down. Um, you also often, you know, bring in very diverse groups and you run these sprints and, and you give them the task of making recommendations or even making design decisions around how are we going to approach a particular issue, a customer challenge or a, a bottleneck in the organization, right? And so one of the things that we've seen is um, when you add a coach to that equation, and it doesn't have to be a coach who's an expert in agility, although they're really helpful to have, and you should have them in the team. Um, but basically someone who is constantly holding a mirror up to um, who are we, who are we being as we're doing this and how do we start uh, and continue to stay very intentional about the way we're going to work together, about the principles that we're going to embody and give direct feedback and guidance and create really tight learning loops with each other. Right? So a good agile coach will do that. Uh, a really good consultant will include that. It often doesn't get included. And I think when, when coaches think about sort of what are the things that are already happening in organizations where coaching would be a catalyst, you know, maybe it's only 5% of the equation, maybe it's even 5% of the budget, but quite frankly, some of these budgets are pretty huge in terms of transformation. Yeah. So 5% is quite fine. Um, but where are these moments, um, uh, that matter and, and where can I, as a coach, or we, as a profession, think about inserting ourselves into the equation so that the outcomes are exponentially better, you know, for, for the customer. And so that would just be one of them. I mean, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. I mean, you, 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 you talk to so many folks, uh, you know, both on the, on the, uh, on the coaching model side, as well as the practitioners around, you know, where, where might you be seeing this or where are these sort of emerging catalyst opportunities? Yeah, that's a beautiful um, question. Um, well, first of all, I'm just uh, struck by the, the, the kind of quality of, um, intervention that you're describing, you know, like someone said, second loop, triple loop learning, you know, meta learning as, as we kind of ex just pause and look at ourselves from above about who are we being and what's our intention. And I'm just thinking in our own com in coaches rising, how I'm often maybe playing that role, or maybe we all do, but how powerful that is in terms of, uh, taking one out of a sense of like habituation. Um, and it just grabs me this idea. Um, I, I like, so I don't have a, a, a great answer to your question about what do I see in organizations? Because, um, you know, a lot of my one-on-one -on -one coaching is with um, CEOs of companies, uh, entrepreneurs, and I'm not kind of coming in um, in terms of like a, you know, um, wide scale company change. I'm working with people who are perhaps scaling a company um, and, you know, just interested in their own inner leadership as being a powerful vector for the success of their company. So, um, but there's just something about this idea of the catalyst that really grabs me, you know, because um, perhaps it taps into my interest right now around like systemic thinking or, um, 
you know, you know, like what one way of coaching is like incremental change and change is kind of hard and, you know, there's a value for that, but then there's this like place where you can drop something in and it's a complete change in perspective. And somehow that has this like 10 X impact on, on the quality of, um, creativity and, and the, you know, um, output in the system. So yeah, maybe I'm not really answering your question there, but, um, that's, that's what comes up for me. I don't know if anything comes up in response and yeah, or not. Well, yeah, I think you are answering it, uh, 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 in that there's, you know, and this is where I think the business model piece of it is challenging, right? So if, if, um, and so I'm going to say this knowing that many people who are listening have very progressive business models and there's hundreds of ways that you can package position and, and, and market coaching. So that said, <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I find challenging is um, I'm moving away from this idea of coaching looks like a series of sequential conversations that are paced roughly evenly apart and that um, you as the customer pay for those interactions and the frequency and the length of those interactions are the determinants of the cost, right? Um, perfectly legitimate, right? I mean, just, it's, so it's not a bit broken model. I mean, it, it absolutely works. I think it's pretty much how the coaching profession is, you know, you have a client, we meet once a month and there's an annual fee and that kind of thing. And again, I know that there's a lot happening around group coaching and other things. Um, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to contract for the catalyst role. And that, that's, what's been interesting is because it, you know, you've got retainer agreements. I've, I've seen those, but they're, they're, they're much less about um, uh, money in exchange for time. And they're much more about uh, uh, funding in, in exchange for value. And I think as the value proposition of what coaches offer begins to change, and I would argue has an opportunity to be more exponential. I mean, and we know this with a, like with whether you're working with individual clients or large organizations, it's like sometimes you have one conversation and you're like, man, that was worth a year of work <laughs> with me. Like, you know, if we could have gotten there right away or, or it's just, it's the right conversation at the right moment and it just feels like a breakthrough. Um, I think that happens in organizations too. And that's, you know, part of the, and, and we've talked about this, but you know, what's, what is the business model that can begin to hold these more catalyst type relationships that are probably um, less time intensive. They're probably still intensive, um, more selective, um, but less predictable. And, and it's a bit of a question I've, I've been experimenting with just things you can do like around retainers and you know, some of the group coaching starts to get at it, at least a different financial model. But um, I haven't seen anything yet. I mean, I'd, I'd, if anyone, if anyone has something or has seen these, <laughs> I'd invite them to let us know because I'm, I'm sort of fascinated with what's the container that can hold that so that it's a um, sustainable business uh, and, you know, allows for coaches to be something other than a resource at a relatively predictable pace or, you know, um, series of conversations. Like, I'd love to ask you, like, what, uh, what sparks that inquiry for you? Because I, I have something similar in that, um, you know, I've been coaching for, mm, I don't know, eight, nine years or something, in you know, and then the last six years quite intensively, you know, all the mm -hmm. time clients. And, um, you know, I've seen my own skill in that time, you know, exponentially increase. And um, I see the value my clients are getting from the coaching. And yet there's this sense of like, okay, uh, yeah, I want, I want more, you know, there has to be, or mm, like imagining, you know, it's that creative part of me, like what, what would it be like if there was an ecosystem of interaction points I already don't charge my clients per hour, you know, and charge them per kind of package or for the outcome. And that feels rich, but it, I don't feel like I'm fully leveraging the potential of what you're talking about, you know? So like, how can there be different types of types of touch points that, that then um, again, exponentially liberate the kind of change we're looking for. And even, even, um, 
you know, for my own sake, like how do, what, what ways am I holding change and how it needs to be that are limiting? I think that's something I'm hearing in your inquiry. It's like, yeah, perhaps there's something about this once a week, once every two weeks, once a month format that, you know, has worked, but perhaps there's something about it that's very limiting. And so, um, I, yeah, I'm in very rudimentary stages of that inquiry myself. For example, yeah. like what kinds of apps or wearables might be um, included. But, um, you know, I think I'm just in this sense of like, how might I even be holding what change is? Um, and that needs to be innovated, you know, yeah. in a sense. So, well, you know, one of the, one of the things I, I hear you saying and I, and, um, and I've been putting some thought there is, is what, what can evolve as sort of a, I won't have a good name for it, but sort of a collaborative ecosystem, you know, of people who do high value work that I'd loosely determine or call coaching, you know? And so when I, and it kind of comes back to this point of like the uberfication of, of, of yeah, pick the industry, right? I mean, this is just the sort of race to the bottom that, technology seems to enable. Um, and I, and I don't want to discount the utility of it because I think it could actually put a lot of coaches to work for a, a very decent income. Right. And so I think whether it's to get experience or because it fits into the lifestyle I have, I mean, in the same way that someone might be an Uber driver or, you know, it's, it's um, it, it plays an important role. So I don't, I don't want to discount it as something that's bad. Um, but I don't think it's the only direction for the industry to go in. And what sort of intrigues me is what's the ecosystem that evolves at the higher end um, in terms of the value contribution to the organization and maybe fees as well. Um, and, you know, I think it looks less like a roll up of someone buying a lot of coaching firms or, you know, all the coaches working for some, you know, company X, um, it could be, uh, but I think it's going to look more collaborative. I think it's going to look more like a loose, looser ecosystem, almost like a guild, you know, if we go back in time and, uh, cause what I'm clear about is like, I'm really good at coaching a couple of things like of the of the thousand things someone might need, like I'm really good at like seven of them, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, because of the work that I've done and, and folks that I've bumped into and, and people that I've heard on your podcast and, you know, gotten to know as a result, um, I've started to sort of weave together, uh, you know, folks where it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of an organizational design question, or, you know, that really sounds like it's a challenge around vertical development. And, you know, how do we begin to embed that at scale? Okay. I know who to bring in. And, uh, and so I'm intrigued at how coaches and the coaching industry can begin to evolve uh, new platforms that are less about, uh, and maybe they do need to be run and held and owned. I don't know. Um, but I'd love to imagine that there could be something a little bit more emergent where uh, an ecosystem of, of coaches could come together. And, and, and in my larger clients that I work with, that's kind of exactly where they're going, right? I mean, when I, when I talk to the uh, learning and development and HR organizations or even into the business, this, um, this idea of curating uh, best-in-class providers who understand how to link their work together. So what we don't want is, you know, someone who's doing coaching over here and org design over there and, you know, an agile consultant over here, and none of them can talk to each other. None of them have any common language. And it feels like you're just working in another universe every time they come in the room. And so I think that there's this need to find these places where there can be connection points, but have that unique value really shine. And, and I think if you could present those kinds of options to organizations, number one, I think they get more quality at less cost because uh, you're not paying for some intermediary. Um, and, and secondly, I think it just, it allows for people who are really good at a particular thing to make a really good living doing that thing and not needing to do all of these sort of adjacent things that are sort of part of the job. And it's like, well, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd only work with clients who do this, but I have to pay the bills. So I'll take on, you know, other things, you know, how do you, how do you collaborate and bring others in um, so that you can do more and more of what you're great at and lean into others to do what they're great at and have some 
financial share of the value that gets created. And, and that's an interesting model to kind of mm. play with and yeah. explore. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Um, Cause just before I, I respond, you said that you're already starting to see that in some of the projects that you're implementing. How do you see organizations um, kind of making a call for that? Are, are they, you know, are yeah. they saying like to you, we, we need like um, this type of coach and this type of consultant. And what we want to know is how can you make, how can you work together? Are they getting in a way more discerning, you know, as a, as a consumer? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I can give you an example and, and, you know, um, you, you, we, we did a podcast a while back with um, a, a couple of leaders from Roche who led the transformation work there and some of the agile transformation work they've done and that I've been a part of. So um, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn because uh, we, we had talked about it on that podcast, but um, you know, when, when we designed, we uh, full circle group leadership circle, when we went and started working with Roche uh, around this uh, agile transformation. I mean, I, and I'll admit, I, I went in with a very kind of, you know, my consultant hat on and like, oh, we can do this totally, even though probably I was about 80% sure we could do most of it and completely unsure we could do some percentage of it, right? Like, we'll, we'll figure it out kind of. And, um, and, you know, the leaders at Roche were, I mean, first of all, they were super smart and smart enough to know that it's like, no, 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 that's not what we want. What we want is for you to do what you're great at, which is helping leaders with the mindsets um, and the consciousness that's going to be necessary to operate in these agile structures. So you're going to have your hands full with that. Uh, and we're going to be working with McKinsey to help us with some of the architecture structure. And so here's the deal. You guys go figure out how you're going to work together and do this. And no, we're not going to like pay double, you know? And so I remember the, you know, the early days I, I'd mentioned, um, you know, my friend and collaborator, Michael Lurie, who was on the McKinsey side of the equation, who was, I think, a little further ahead than I was in terms of knowing how to collaborate. But, um, but we worked it out. And I think what, what we created was better I like certainly, I think better than what we would have done on our own. I like to think it's better than what McKinsey would have done on their own. And, you know, if I fast forward five years into that engagement, there's probably, um, there's got to be two, three dozen different uh, providers, consulting firms, organizations, all of them linked together in this case with the leadership circle as sort of a common language of leadership. Um, but that, that's sort of become one of the tenets of, of, and principles of how they do transformation is um, they're looking for diverse uh, ecosystems of providers. And, and my experience is it works really well. Uh, as much as, you know, when you get in a scarcity mindset, you'd love to sort of say, no, 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 <laughs> we can do that. Um, my experience is by and large, you know, when you get these people who are just the best at what they do in the room together, if they can figure out how to work together and get their egos out of the room, um, they do amazing things. Yeah. And, and so I think organizations are going to be looking at that. I think procurement departments and, and organizations are getting much smarter. I think technology is allowing them to be a lot more sophisticated. I think there was a case in the past where you could say, Hey, it, it's worth paying a premium if we can roll all this up into a single vendor and they consolidate the, the invoice and that kind of thing. I think increasingly organizations are smart enough and technology is capable enough to deal with um, disaggregated proposals and multiple vendors. And frankly, I think most procurement groups would like to negotiate with, you know, all of them independently and they'll probably get more, uh, you know, more leverage if they do. So it, it feels like it's where it's headed. Certainly organizations are looking for it. And I think what my experience is when we go and we, and we present ourselves as part of a, uh, a collaboration or we bring in partners that we curate, um, but we hold them external. So we say, you know, listen, we're not just bringing them in and rolling them up and adding margin on top of it. You know, you'll, you'll contract with them independently, but we work together really well. Um, that seems like it's, it's resonating. Like, and again, I, the, the long-term sort of sustainable business model that holds it together, I don't think is a, has, I don't, it's not obvious to me yet. Um, but the direction is pretty clear. I think I don't see organizations turning back from that because I think they got a lot out of it. Um, 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think there's two ways to go. You can work in these ecosystems or you can consolidate and drive down cost, which is, you know, I think with some of these, um, you know, the Uber app type um, approaches are. Mm. And you said the long-term business model, you're not sure about it yet. Um, could you say why? Well, I'm sure someone will figure it out. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's what, that's what, maybe that's what I mean. It's, it's not clear to me how you do that consistently at scale and make the economics work. Like, so for example, I mean, if you've got a coaching firm or you've got a small consultancy and, and you have some ambition of selling that business, um, there's a way that currently businesses are valued. Um, it's difficult to value networks and ecosystems in the same way. So I think the way that um, business acquisition, you know, the valuations in companies is, is driven by sort of the way it's traditionally been done. So I, you know, there, I, I don't, I don't, say it's impossible to figure out. I mean, I think we could figure it out. I think what's more challenging is do the economics work for um, entrepreneurs and for business owners, you know, and I think that's the part mm. that I'm not, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's just early. I, it could be that they are and I'm, uh, I don't see it, but uh, you know, again, if there's people in the, in your, your ecosystem and, and who listen to this, who, who have some perspective on it, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I think that's great you make that call out because in a way, um, this is a living conversation we're in right now. And so if there are people listening to this and they do feel inspired to perhaps um, have a, a next part of it, we reach out, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I, I hear a little bit of like, um, you know, you, you introduced me to Dan Sullivan's work, the Free Zones, um, you know, that yeah. idea of like, because I think why I'm sharing that is like one thing that makes that type of collaboration viable um, in the first place is like both partners are um, or both collaborators are already successful in one area, you know, and they've created some level of um, financial stability or, or thriving. And therefore they, they're just kind of, you've just got that way that you can then collaborate more, more freely. Cause I think it takes a certain, as you, as you said, a certain type of mindset, if you get into competition and scarcity then it's going to be an awkward thing to navigate um and i'm just kind of hearing this like sense of like almost like i heard dave snowden talking about markets that become commoditized and um Mm. one of the uh and he talked talked about apex predators and but one of the um, one of the ways to to innovate is to bes- is bespoke training, you know. And mm-hmm. it's like I think a lot of things are going in that direction, aren't they? As we get more sophisticated with how we can track things, like big data, you know, around medicine, for example, like personalized medicine. It's like um, personalized uh, training with with different, like you're saying, different people who plug in at different points. And, you know, a lot of people listening might be just single coaches, but I already thinking now of a podcast I did with Dave Burns and he's a fascinating guy. And he talked about how his model business model is like he um, contracts with people and um, works kind of very extensively throughout their life, but brings in specialists. So I'm, I'm going to, yeah. he has his own network of like best in the field practitioners who he'll plug in uh, depending on what's needed with that specific client. So there are individual, you know, individual coaches who are playing in this kind of space, I think. And um, so. Um, oh, well, I love that. I love yeah. that. Cause you're reminding me of that. I think I even remember listening to that um, conversation because I, I think that's it. And then how do you do that at scale? Like, so I, there's something about, like, even if I think of myself as just a, a recipient of coaching, so I was going to hire a coach. And um, I mean, there's a, a whole number of things. Someone, I mean, I would love to have someone who could, nutrition's, uh, nutrition, diet, exercise, that'd be very valuable. I mean, uh, mindfulness practice, that'd be very valuable. I've got some very practical decisions to make in my own business. It'd be great to have kind of a business advisor coach, you know. And how all that so, connects. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and the idea that I would expect one person to be all of those things 
you know, and I think what I what I'd probably end up doing is just saying, well, let me let me prioritize what I think is most important. And so what I really need is, you know, business advice. And if okay, if you can tell me to drink more water and get eight hours of sleep a night, <laughs> fair enough, I'll listen to you. But this idea of no, 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 I, I can actually bring um, some of the, the most impactful and progressive thinkers in all of those domains to the table. And um, we'll all share the same context as we work with you. And I think that that's the piece that I think is, is the linchpin to it. You know, for, for me and for, for us, and this is just one example, but I think with one of the, the advantages of working with the leadership circle in a client is that there's such a large, I think of it as an open source leadership model. I mean, you just, you can get certified in it and if you're qualified and capable, you can begin to use it. And so there's this um, sort of very rich ecosystem of people who do everything from branding and advertising to deep, deep, you know, uh, uh, consciousness work and, and, and vertical development work. And, um, and we can tie the way that we work with organizations or individuals back to a common vocabulary, you know, and I think part of the, the challenge of these ecosystems working is what are going to be the unifying structures, you know, and I think having been at, you know, and I full disclosure, I worked on the you know, management team at, at team at, uh, at CTI coactive training Institute. I'm currently on the board there. So like, you know, coaches schools, like I, I, I used to be quite bullish on, you know, could they be that? I don't know. You know, I, I, I feel like it starts to get a little bit tribal where you've got the coactive here and the new field and Hudson. And I mean, and ironically, we're all sort of, you know, swimming in the same water and we have a bit of a different definition of, of how we approach the work. But um, so that could be, I mean, it, it could be something like schools. I mean, my, my experience is that they're, they aren't often the thing that connects beyond the education. Um, maybe it's models, you know, maybe it's setting up, um, you know, even the way that, um, some of the uh, design thinking uh, work happened. I, I find that kind of a fascinating uh, industry in that it's, it's not owned. I mean, you've got some really qualified and, and amazing practitioners of it, but it almost feels like it's a bit of an open source language that if you're, uh, you know, if you'd care to, you can borrow from it and you can use the tools and then you can bring your expertise. So that's the, I mean, it, I think it's a prerequisite is can we find a common vocabulary uh, and, and a context that allows us to take things that have up until now been quite disaggregated and separate and begin to weave them together where they don't lose their uniqueness, but they're able to speak to each other. Well, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, Bluetooth for uh, <laughs> coaches and coaching uh, services, you know, what's, how are we going to integrate all of these, you know, one, wonderful tools and, and approaches in a way that, I don't need a, a separate driver every time I want to try and, you know, do something new. Mm. Yeah. And I guess, how do we do that? Um, not in a way that's inward facing, you know, but actually in a way that then enables the kinds of um, interactions and quality work and innovation and, and supply and demand to be met that we talked about, you know, that, um, yeah, that the, the, the um, people in organizations or people looking for coaches can relate to that, those definitions in a way that helps them orient to the work. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, what, yeah. Cause th there is one thing that you said, you said like supply and demand um, it's inefficient in a way. And um, how do you, what do you mean with that? Cause I don't think we completely articulate that clearly because um, are you saying that there's, there's a hell of a demand for coaching and there's just not enough coaches out there getting connected to the right people? Could you say what you see? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, I guess the, as I look at it, you know, and, and there's lots of opinions about sort of where we are in the economic cycle and what's happening, but it, it, it feels like it is a fundamental shift. And I, I mean, this is, I'm not inventing this myself. I mean, it's, it's, I think others far smarter than me have, have articulated it better, but you know, we're moving into a very different age of how 
uh, capitalism, how organizations, how systems function. And I think this is as big a change as moving from agriculture to uh, uh, the industrial age was. And I think it's been building. I think technology is a massive driver of it. Um, I think the pandemic, quite frankly, has probably accelerated it. I mean, it's been a catalyst in and of itself to a lot of these changes that were probably going to be happening anyway. And somehow something that was going to take seven years happened in 11 months. Um, and so when I work with organizations, when I see where they're struggling, it is not this little initiative, or we're going to try and launch a new product or sort of incremental improvements to quality. All of that's still happening for sure. Um, increasingly the conversation I see happening in boards and in executive teams is fundamentally reimagining the core foundations of what this industry is. And whether that's life sciences or pharmaceuticals or fast moving consumer goods or education or other things, you know, the, the increase of technology and the pace of change is these organizations are confronted with a reality, which is um, we need to begin to not uh, experiment on the edges, but make big, bold moves. Uh, and the competitive landscape is moving so quickly uh, that if you don't, you can find yourself two, three years later with Amazon owning your business, even though they hadn't even been in it, you know, previously. Mm. And so um, when I look at the demand that is faced by organizations, there's two components of it. One is what's the architecture that can enable that? And I think a lot of the work um, around organizational design and architecture and, you know, that McKinsey and Bain and BCG and others are, you know, writing about and, and, I, and I think are, are, you know, beginning to identify best practice in is, uh, is one component. Cause of course you need that, right? Do you, the, this, this machine needs to be completely re-engineered. And so there's a way that we need to design it. Now, the reality is that these are human systems, not me mecha mechanistic systems uh, from the past. And so the challenge and the thing to solve for is, um, human innovation, ingenuity, passion, and energy, which is actually inexhaustible in my opinion, uh, right? And so this isn't about um, building more factories or having slightly more efficient machines. It's about, are we getting the most that we can out of the absolute scarcest resource there is in the world? Because it's not capital any longer that can be acquired if you've got a great idea, um, it's people. You know, and so when that becomes the center of the conversation, which is this entire business is derived and built around creating value for people in society and getting the most from and creating value for people internally, employees, then I think the question is, well, how do you begin to bring those systems to life? And this is where I think coaching um, those of us who've sort of pursued this path, you know, we've, we've just have an innate interest in it or whatever brought us to it, have something so important to say in the conversation um, that I think is much bigger than uh, and includes, you know, working with folks on kind of incremental change and setting goals. And I think that those are all quite important. I think the bigger opportunity is, you know, how do we support individuals to really reimagine themselves? So as, as these organizations uh, reimagine their architecture, they run the risk of being these uninhabited progressive institutions that people don't know what to do with, right? Like, and, and, I, and we see that, you know, when we, when we work in, in organizations that are, that are doing structure first transformation, it's, uh, it's like, you've got these, uh, you know, cities that uh, get built in the anticipation of people moving in, but they're still empty. And, uh, and I think part of the work of coaching that, you know, can be so valuable is how do you help people begin to embody, begin to uh, move into the identity, begin to evolve the skill set and the mindset that's going to be required to thrive in these environments. And so I just don't know who else would be able to do it. I get, maybe that's where I come down to is it's like, it's going to need to be done. And if I look around at sort of the professions, like I don't, I don't see accounting all of a sudden moving in there. I don't necessarily see management consulting moving quickly in that space, although they'll make efforts and, and, and some of them will be good efforts, but, uh, and then I look at sort of the coaching profession and I think, my goodness, here's, here's a, 
here's a group of people, you know, we got to build a boat and here's a whole bunch of carpenters, <laughs> you know, like how do we get mm-hmm. these folks together? Uh, and, and I think that's the inefficiency that I mean is I, is I think the demand side has grown so exponentially and the supply side is still running like it's um, 2005. You know, I just, I don't see a tremendous amount of innovation uh, in the business of coaching. Again, I, no question, incredibly progressive models and, and, and at an individual and a firm level, there are some that are doing some really interesting things, but as a whole, you know, I think the coaching profession is, yeah, I mean, unless I'm blind to some big aspect of it, uh, I, you know, I don't see as necessarily moving at the pace of change in the world, you know? Mm. Um, well, that was exquisitely said and uh, very encouraging, you know, for coaches listening. It's like, ah, yeah, there's just such a need for this kind of work. And a um, few things come up, like, I guess, um, and it could take us off in different tangents, but like one is like, oh, that might be where there is a need for some kind of commoditization of coaching in some sense, maybe not commoditization, but like these aggregate firms are able to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they are able to connect coaches to organizations, then there's some, some value in that. Um, and um, the other thing is just what you said about reimagining, like, you know, through in this fast pace of change that we're all seeing, reimagining who we are to unleash this human potential. And um, there's something about that that's, that speaks to me of the heart of what coaching is or can be, and um, perhaps ties in a few of the points of our conversation together. I'm thinking of the catalyst again. And this sense of like, I know we've talked in our previous conversations about myth and narrative and mm. mindset, you know, but the, the art of a, as a coach of being able to um, help our clients in this world, reimagine who they are in a way that helps them to, you know, find a sense of um, groundedness and, and creativity and, and thriving, you know, that, um, um, yeah, you know, like I think that starts to speak to me now of like the why coaches rising exists as well, you know, like this need for the kind of coaching consciousness in the world, particularly right now. And yeah. um, how can we have better coaches um, matched up in the right place? That's a beautiful question to be living into. Yeah, yeah. What if, and it feels like the time is now, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't actually think it's the front end of the curve. Like, I think we're like, right. we're like late to the party a little, like the party has been going on for a while. You know, <laughs> I think we're showing up sort of, you know, uh, a little past midnight or something. I don't know when, when do parties get going? I don't remember anymore, but, um, but you know, this, you know, even coming back to like, you know, Frederick Leloux's work and reinventing organizations. And, you know, I remember when some of that was starting to come out and it was kind of woo woo and like, oh, you know, this is just, it's like organizations just weren't there. Like they weren't necessarily thinking like there was always some example of some incredibly progressive company that was exploring and experimenting. But, you know, by and large, it was like, it wasn't that long ago that you'd have to go in and actually make the case for like, why developing people matters. Like, I mean, it almost seems absurd now because it's just so self-evident, but it really wasn't very long ago that a lot of these concepts weren't um, generally accepted. And I think, you know, even when you look at Lulu's sort of, um, you know, the three breakthroughs of, of self-management, so these sort of flat hierarchies and lots of autonomy and um, wholeness, right? I mean, how do we bring increasingly more and more of ourselves into work and how do we create environments where there's a place for more and more, you know, so these inclusive environments, I think, you know, a lot of the work that's um, uh, been long needed and is starting to happen in earnest, I hope with diversity and inclusion. So this idea of bringing more wholeness and uh, revolving around an evolutionary purpose, you know, and I, and I think to myself, like what profession is better at, you know, navigating people towards purpose, uh, wholeness and, uh, choice, 
and and those are really the three uh, uh, necessary ingredients for any of these progressive architectures to take hold. And so, yeah, I mean, we're we're sort of beating the drum of like coaches are needed <laughs> more than ever. And so, uh, not that people need to hear that who are listening to this because they've probably already signed up to that conclusion. But um, you know, the the role that I think you all have to play, and and you know, when I think about where coaches rising has been has been, played a place in my own, you know, learning. I mean, I've, I really, um, I really value the perspectives and that, you know, it'll often be someone I haven't heard of, or I'll read the the tagline and I'll think, oh, that's not interesting for me. And then I'll force, and then I'll like, I'll listen to it and I'll be like, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought to look there. And so there, there's a way that I think coaches rising plays this curation role, um, which is another necessary piece. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'd sort of challenge you and your, you know, your co-founders and, and, and folks there to think about, you know, now that you've started to build connection and, and you've, you've, you've got community and, and, and clearly you're doing a lot with it, with the programs that, uh, that you offer and the continuous development, you know, one of the, one of the questions I'd have would, would be, you know, what's, what's the next evolution of, of what that community could be, you know, and, and how does it become, increasingly a community of practice and, a, and and maybe a place to experiment with some of these, you know, emerging models. I, I don't know, but, you know, there aren't, there aren't many people who sit at the nexus of so many different, you know, uh, schools of thought, uh, schools of coaching, uh, life coaches, organizational coaches. Uh, so there's, there's only a few places where those roads all seem to cross. And, and I, 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 I'd suggest you're one of them. Mm. Yeah, well, funny enough, we are actually in uh, the lab right now. I'm going to mix up my metaphors a bit, but like cooking up uh, something around community membership. Uh, uh, and and uh, I think, you know, our, our grandest visions for that speak to a lot of the things we've talked about today, you know, like um, collaborative, collective, unleashing the collective intelligence of community. Um and, you know, I'd love to stay in this conversation, you know, I'm like, oh, I'd love to be in one of those collectives, collaborative collectives, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, me too, invite me. So maybe we can, <laughs> we can form one, you know, maybe this is like the, right. <laughs> the, the beginning got, of my exactly, like team exactly. or whatever. That's right. There's two nodes in the network so far. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not particularly compelling, but hopefully uh, some very engaging people will sign up. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good place to draw this to a close. Is there anything else you want to name uh, or say, like in order to, to, as we draw this in to a close this conversation? Um, no, just, you know, thank you for, for hosting these conversations. I, 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 they, uh, I, I think this um, innovation always happens on the periphery of systems and all of the interesting things happen on the edge very little interesting happens at the middle as anyone who kind of walks into a head office, you know, uh, will, will probably attest to. Uh, and so in the, and so it's interesting to think about where's the edge of our profession. And, and that's why I said, I don't think it's necessarily the big coaching firms or the big consulting firms or the folks that are sort of occupying and frankly have a financial and a vested interest in things relatively working the way that they have. Um, not that they're not innovate at all, but um, so I'm intrigued by what you all could do uh, because I do think coaches rising is, um, is both at the center, but also on the periphery uh, in terms of the, uh, the business of coaching. And so um, I look forward to seeing what you guys, I'll, uh, I'll have a, uh, a taste of whatever you're cooking up. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for putting in the effort. Thanks, Paul. And I, actually, just um, do you want to name any resort? Like could we a website or anything like that, that, people could find you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so uh, again, I, I do most of my work with, um, uh, with uh, full circle group and leadership circle. So that's um, one place to find me, at least in terms of the organizational work I do. Uh, I have a, uh, a newsletter uh, type thing that I've started where I just sort of share my thoughts kind of in a, a building it in public kind of way. And it's, uh, if you just go to unlockingmove.com. Um, that'll take you to the sign up and you can get that. And I usually send it out about, you know, twice a month and uh, you can always unsubscribe. So if I'm rattling on or, or it's thoroughly uninteresting, you're, you're one click away from silencing me. So uh, no, uh, 
no big commitments. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Thank you.